everyone. Thanks, Greg, for doing our reading. All right, uh, do any of you know the Frog and Toad books? Uh, so Frog and Toad are friends, and one day uh, Toad wakes up in bed and says, I have many things to do. I will write them all down on a list so I can remember them. So Toad writes on a piece of paper a list of things to do today, and he writes, wake up. Okay, he says, I've done that, so he crosses it off. And then he writes other things on the list. Eat breakfast, get dressed, go to Frog's house, go for a walk with Frog, eat lunch with Frog, play games with Frog, eat dinner, go to sleep. So Toad gets out of bed, has something to eat, and then crosses off, eat breakfast. Then he gets his clothes out of the closet, puts them on, and crosses off, get dressed. He walks out the door, walks to Frog's house, and then standing at Frog's front door, takes out the list from his pocket and crosses off and go to Frog's house. So he's just knocked out the door when suddenly this strong wind blows the list right out of Frog's hand, out of Toad's hand, up into the air. And as Frog comes to the door, Toad is shrieking, help, my list has blown away. What will I do without my list? Hurry, says Frog, let's go catch it. I can't, wails Toad. Why not? Because running after the list was not one of the things I wrote on my list of things to do today. So Frog goes running after the list. He runs over hills and swamps. He runs over meadows and creeks, but the list blows on and on. Finally, Frog comes back to Toad. I'm sorry, he says. I could not catch your list. Blah, says Toad. I cannot remember any of the things that were on my list. I will just have to sit here and do nothing. So Toad sat there and did nothing, and Frog sat there and did nothing with him. After a long time, Frog says, Toad, it's getting late. We should go to sleep. <gasps> go to sleep, says Toad. That was the last thing on my list. So Toad writes on the ground with a stick, go to sleep. And then he crosses it out. And then he and Frog go right to sleep. Oh, I love Frog and Toad. Love kids' books. Um, super relate to that myself. Anyone else list makers? Uh, I make lists most days uh, about most everything. I even kept a journal for a long time that was just my book of lists. And I still update it periodically. Um, what about lists for Christmas? Definitely made a bunch of those. How about lists of gifts you wanted for Christmas? Um, this was the first year that Alice made a list of the gifts she wanted to send to Santa. There were two, um, a suitcase and stuffies. I'm not sure she got either one of those. Uh, let's see, what else would be good prompt questions? Um, who remembers a really great gift that you got for Christmas or for whatever? Do any of you remember a gift you really wanted but did not get? I saw some cheesy thing on Instagram last week that was like, years from now your child won't remember the present you got them or didn't get them this Christmas, but they'll remember your presents with them. Baloney! I totally remember wanting an American Girl doll so badly and never getting it. Gift giving is 
tough. It is fraught, um, both as a kid and as an adult. And I think we all know the feeling of once all presents have been unwrapped, like just a little twinge um, from not having gotten quite what we wanted. And of course, that feeling is not at all unique to Christmas, right? Christmas does create a bit of a conundrum uh, for those of us who follow Jesus. And I don't mean like which presents we got, but like theologically, because Advent, Advent is the season before Christmas, right? It gets us ready for Christmas. And we always say Advent is the season of longing. It's the season where we just are really honest about the gap between how things are and how we wish they could be. And the Bible passages we read and talk about in Advent are often dark and heavy and about the apocalypse and the end of the world and John the Baptist telling everyone to repent or get thrown into hellfire. And there's so much um, in Advent to just acknowledge how much is not right in our lives and in our world. And all of that darkness and longing leads us to Christmas. And this new baby is born and God shows up as Jesus and it's good news and great joy and everyone is singing and celebrating the fulfillment of God's promise. But like, what's changed? The world around them hasn't changed. Mary and Joseph are still homeless, right? Caesar Augustus Augustus is still emperor, right? Rome is still in charge of things. Bethlehem is still occupied. The world is still a mess. What changed at Christmas? The passage that Greg read from Luke 2, uh, it's usually called the presentation of Jesus. It presumably happened 40 days after he was born. Um, which is when that rite happened, partly because, you know, the biblical importance of the number 40, um, partly because in those days, if an infant survived 40 days, they were likely to survive. Uh, But primarily because 40 days was the ritual time to bless um, the new mother and give thanks for her survival um, through childbirth and her recovery. So Jesus' family has come to the temple to do that. And the gospel makes a point of stating that Mary and Joseph made the offering of two pigeons, which is what the book of Exodus permits people to give if they're too poor to afford the customary lamb. And that's when we meet Simeon. And he's this character that we have never heard of before. We never hear of him again. He's not in any other gospel. Uh, But an old man near the end of his life and guided by the spirit who takes this one-month-old baby in his arms and starts singing. Master, now you're dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. If you have ever seen someone very old holding someone very young, it is not hard to imagine the power of this moment. And Simeon essentially says, okay, God, I'm ready to go now. Like, I can now die in peace because of what I've seen here today. What does he see in this child that makes him able to say that? What would you need to see in order to say that at the end of your life? Because that's what we all hope for, right? That kind of death where someone is so at peace that they can actually say, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. And it certainly doesn't always happen that way, but it does happen. Uh, and, and anytime it does, 
uh, anytime someone can say that at the end of their life, it's just a miracle, right? It's a miracle. It's the best possible blessing. Simeon's song is called the Nunc Dimittis. It's after its first words in Latin. Um, I have no idea how to pronounce that, despite my Latin classes. Um, but it will probably not surprise you to learn um, that that Nunc Dimittis, it's often included in funeral liturgies, uh, sometimes read, sometimes sung. And traditionally, like way back in the day, centuries ago, um, it was chanted by the priest at the very end of the service as they led the procession, priest, coffin, mourners, out of the church and like across the yard to the graveyard. Now I can depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Um, but it's not just in funerals. Um, since 1662, um, it's been in the Book of Common Prayer uh, as the evening prayer service, um, the last the last prayer that you do before bed. So like, day is done, dismiss me in peace, O oh God, my eyes have seen your salvation today. So Simeon's song, good way to end an earthly life, good way to end a day, and you know what? Probably a good way to end a year, right? Like what would it take as we get ready to close the books on this year to say, 2023, I dismiss you with peace. In you, I have seen God's presence, God's goodness, God's salvation for all people. Uh, that's easier some years than others, right? Like, can we do that this year? I don't know what happened in your life this year, but the most Googled phrase all year was war in Israel and Gaza. It is easier to say that some years than others. You are dismissing your servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. But what I really want to know is why can Simeon say this now when he couldn't say it 41 days before? Like even though the reality of the world around him is apparently unchanged and will stay largely unchanged, why is Simeon now able to say this? Why in the best possible circumstances can some people say this before they die, even when no one ever gets all that they hope for? What gives us peace at the end of the day when no one's ever able to do all that they had hoped to do in a day? And what would ever make us able to say this at the end of the year when the only guarantee in life is that it will never, ever go according to your plan. So like, how do we end anything well? How do we make peace with work that is never done? And this is where I think it helps to have a more robust theology of Christmas. Because we do wait all Advent for Christmas to arrive. And when Christmas comes, it doesn't fix everything, right? But it does change everything. And I think the way it does that is with this very humble but very powerful promise made real that always and everywhere God is with us. And it turns out somehow that like we can do anything if we don't have to do it alone. So then life on the other side of Christmas is like this beautiful experiment of faith and hope, which are two sides of the same coin, right? And what faith and hope make possible for us, which is trust. When that promise of God's presence is real for us, then we're able to trust. We're able to trust that there's more time, even after death. We're able to trust that there are others to share 
in the work. We're able to trust that goodness lies ahead of us and goodness lies around us because God is with us and the people around us. So faith and hope and trust. And that might not be what we wrote on any list, um, but I think that's what God gives us at Christmas. Faith, hope, and trust. Almost done, but one last thought. Simeon's song It is the fourth and final song in the birth narrative of Luke. An angel comes to Mary and then she sings the Magnificat. John is born and then Zachariah sings the Benedictus. Jesus is born and the angels sing the Gloria. Jesus is presented and Simeon sings Nuke Dimittis. So here's here's the one last thought. Songs of joy are not reserved for happy endings. Your joy doesn't need to wait for things to work out, for things to fall into place, for things to be finished. Joy is your birthright as a child of God, as one for whom a child was born. Good news, great joy, it was for you in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So go ahead and burst into song, and may we depart 2023 in peace. For indeed, our eyes have seen God's salvation. And may 2024 be for you, for our world, a year of great joy. Amen.